This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Brentford Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and Billy the Bee Grant and XG Dave Anderson of Besotted. A glorious, glorious time in the championship. So exciting. Playoff action. And you two have also had a bit of time to digest, to ruminate on Brentford's end to the season. How are you feeling about it looking back? Mm, looking back on a season... I gave my I gave my views a, a couple of weeks ago and it caused a bit of debate. Not my views as well, but we got everybody to put their views together on our little, did. little WhatsApp group. We just thought, listen, everybody, what do you think about Brentford's season? Give us your marks out of 10. And I gave it a 5 out of 10. Um, disappointment for me, I have to be honest with you, looking at the quality of the squad. Were you looking at a playoff push, Billy, before the season began? Uh, if I remember rightly, I think I... I can't remember, actually. I think... I think... Tell you what I did. I, I erred... Erred? On the on the case of, uh, of, of trying to be uh, a little bit sort of kind of like not going absolutely potty for it. Because the season before, I was like, oh, yes, we're going to finish fourth or third or something like that. So I pulled back off and I said, you know, we'll be outside the... Outside the sixth, maybe eighth or ninth, if I remember rightly. I can't remember exactly. But then when the season started and we were looking really brilliant... And the players that we had and the play that we were doing, playing, I thought, you know, we were looking really, really good. And there weren't that many teams at the time that I thought would be us. But as you know, it's a 46-game season and there's so many things that have happened. And obviously, a lot of things that have happened which are out of our control. Like I said to you, the RIP Rob <laughs> Rowan, director dying, you know, Dean Smith leaving. Um, and the, of course, they've had a knock-on effect. But the fact that we, you know, I don't know how many, six, eight points off the playoffs at the end of the day. So some of those losses if we'd drawn them or even turned them to win we only needed three or four of them we had a really horrendous run um, but like I said to you we got some really really good players there's not many times that you can have a player score 28 goals right um, 28 goals normally kind of means that you're pretty much in a sort of kind of you've got to be at least in a playoff place or in a in a, in a league winning position so we've got a player score 28 goals and we finished 11th so for me that in itself kind of makes me feel a little bit disappointed because it's almost like a wasted opportunity with with what we've got there. Because the fact is that the long or the short of it, we're gonna we're gonna lose those players. I'm, I'm trying to think that we're not going to, but you know, just 
just the emanation and, and, and the views and, and, and the thoughts I've heard from sort of people coming around from me. And this is not from in, in Brentford Football Club. This is from outside. It, it looks like that, you know, it's going to be highly likely that these wonderful players that we've been building up, they're going to disappear from Griffin Park. Yeah, I think Billy's a bit frustrated with his five out of ten. He's yeah, he's very annoyed. I think we we all I'm expected a bit more <laughs> frustrated. <laughs> frustrated, yeah, annoyed a bit strong. Frustrated. I gave it a seven, and I think the more and more I thought about that, I think maybe I have been a bit generous there. The more I think about it, I, th- I think looking at this squad and looking at the division and looking at the league and what's around and and watching some of the, we'll talk about this in a bit, but watching some of these sides in the playoffs, especially Derby. Oh, Derby, oh, Jesus. Please they are stop. stinking the place out. They they have got there through the skin of their teeth. They've put a good run together at the end of the season. They have got there, so you've got to give them credit for that. But as an actual team, finishing the top six and looking to go up, they are they are well short. Billy, you mentioned there that you've effectively resigned yourself to losing a large proportion of those key men from this season. That's, of course, something that all Brentford fans will be concerned about. Mm. Who do you see going? Uh, obviously, you know, any <laughs> any team out there would be stupid if they don't try and bid for Malpay. You know, he's he makes his own goals. He's strong. He scores goals. You know, it's only his second season in the league. Uh, as you say, he can only get better. You know, he's got to play for a particular type of team, but I'll be very, very surprised if somebody out there doesn't bid for, for Malpay. Ben Rama, you know, I think he's also a very good player because he scores goals and he also makes goals. The thing about it is that he's also possibly a, a slightly risky player for some teams. So it's only going to be maybe a slightly more forward-thinking manager who may go for a player like Ben Rama. And then, uh, you know, Ollie Watkins has always been a player who's always been touted around. He hasn't had the, as good a season this season as before. However, you never know. You know, this is the time for his agent to be doing his business. So Ollie Watkins could could go. He he, he might not. Again, it, it depends on who comes to us. Mm. You know, but I think it's going to be a I think it's going to be an an awkward situation. What I'll say, we're talking about the playoffs. I mean, I was actually at the Aston Villa versus West Brom playoff on Saturday. I was there, and I was you know I saw the whole the, the whole match. That you know, first Villa goal from Hurrahan. Oh my word! Mm, yeah, it's good, I know. but. Grealish, uh, that was the one that Grealish pulled those players away and then sort of laid it back to him, didn't he? So Jack Grealish needs a bit of credit there as well. It was a fantastic goal. It, it was, you know, I was, I was, I was, <laughs> I was doing a little bit, of, a little bit of work out there. So I was actually dipping in between the West Brom fans. <laughs> I was right in the middle of the West Brom fans for a minute. Then when when Villa scored, I kind of managed to get through. I was right in the middle of the Villa fans as well. I was doing a bit of filming up there, so I actually had quite a quite a quite a bit of a I say fun actually, sort of kind of sort of in between all these fans. So the West Brom fans, they were really enjoying it through the through the whole of the first half. Um, they got that goal there through. Um, um, through um, Greenish. No, no, um, West Brom. Oh, Dwight Gale. Dwight Lovely Gale, finish. actually. Yes. Yeah, it's a great yeah, little yeah. finish as well. It just goes to show you again God, the quality yeah. of a player like that. You know, he gets the ball um, and, and you know, he, he he knows how to finish. I mean, I know Malpay as well. Great, great, great <clears> little <throat> finisher. Still misses quite a few opportunities as well. Yeah. Um, I don't think Dwight Gale gets nearly as many opportunities as, as what Malpay, no, what no, Malpay no, no, gets. No. We, Malpay's you know. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know he gets he gets a lot of opportunities but yeah it was it was it was quite good but you know the fear that i have i'm going to be honest with you i mean villa i thought first half they were they were kind of down and out and it's really interesting as well because there was 40,000 people in that crowd and i you know i walked around all the stands i was in the whole end for a little bit then i was in the the side stand for a bit and you know i was got all around the whole stadium and it's really funny because that full first half 
everyone was sitting except for in the West Brom end where everyone was standing. But in the whole 40,000, it'd be 38,000 people in the stadium were all sitting down. Even everyone in the whole end was sitting down and it was really quiet. It was like a library and all the West Brom fans were singing, is this a library? Is this a library? And all that lot. And it was really true. And I was thinking, this is really weird because you've come to this stadium, which is really grand and massive. But everyone's just sort of sitting down there and there's no noise. There, was no, there wasn't a peep out of them. But second half, obviously the game turned and he brought the subs on, they scored the goals. All of a sudden the whole place erupted and you could see it's all gone off, hands in the air, people going absolutely bonkers. And you could see what an advantage that may have. And the, and the West Brom fans were very unhappy because they believed that the crowd were ones that helped to, um, to to send off their player. That's what they believed. They helped also that the penalty that should have been a penalty, that wasn't a penalty, was it? Um, that should have taken place as well. That was uh, due to the crowd as well. So it's, it's funny yeah. that they felt that that massive 40,000 was a real advantage. Mm. And, uh, and, 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 and it, it turned the referee, but they would say that as well, wouldn't they? They would say that, absolutely. <laughs> Villa, of course, now are looking like they have an advantage in that chase for Premier League promotion. Of course, managed by former Brentford boss Dean yes. Smith, who we've heard rumours might have half an eye on a few of his former charges. Mm. Of course, if they do come up, they would become an even bigger draw for the likes of Romain Sawyers. Dave, is that something that worries you as a Brentford man? Uh, I think we're used to it now. It does worry me. and Yeah, I, uh, I am worried about it, but I, I think we've sort of... We're used to the idea of actually selling. I, I think it's it's that frustration of knowing that they, they possibly are going to go. Uh, Smith has big relationships with so many Brentford players. I mean, it would be it would be very silly to say that they wouldn't look at Villa or they wouldn't be drawn by Smith. But Sawyer's especially. I wrote something on Sawyer's actually quite recently. Um, he's been fantastic this year, and, and he, not just Aston Villa. We could have we could have Premier League clubs looking at Sawyer's into his last year of his contract. It, it might not be even if Villa don't go up. It could be someone else, one of the lower teams in the Premier League, that look at him or give him a big chance to show what he can do at a higher level. So. We could lose all sorts, yeah. Let's <laughs> not think too much about it. And I think this is the point that I was actually coming to when I was talking about the game and the fact that they won and the fact that they are, <clears throat> they got their, they've got sort of half a foot in the mm. final at the moment now. You know, they've got to go away from home and they've got to defend that lead. Um, you know, but uh, if what I was trying to say is that if if Aston Villa did go up, I think it actually could pose us a problem because they'll have 150 odd million pounds in mm. the pot in the kitty. You know they're in fin- a bit of financial predicament at the moment now, so they really need to go up. But they've got they've, they they they're going to go up, and I think that could pose us a problem. I actually did. You think they're going to go up? No, no, I, I, I didn't say that. I said, <laughs> I said it because it's going to be. We, we talked about this beforehand. It's gonna, I think it's going to be tough between them and Leeds United. Yeah, you know, Aston Villa. Are, they're a funny. They're not funny side, but Dean Smith side. They can be actually really brilliant on their day and they'll go out there play great attacking football all of a sudden boom boom they, you know they're, they're letting three goals so you, you kind of don't know how it's going to go but it's a cup final type situation yeah. so we kind of we, you know we'll see how that runs interestingly I mean I know earlier you said um, um, Dean Smith is a cup final type you know person I'm not be funny but every single cup game that he had with us we, we lost them <laughs> yes. you know Walsall yeah, you know yeah. Oxford you know Notts County whatever it may be yeah. you know, Chelsea but <laughs> those ones were weakened teams weren't they I think in the actual cup but I think in that one off shootout if you put your best team out Smith can on that day you'd back Smith to get a result I think he is that kind of coach yeah, yeah so yeah. that's what I mean by like the no 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 I hear that but I spoke but I, anyway I, I t- had a good chat to Dean Smith actually yeah. after the game on Saturday as well yeah of course you know as I did I didn't unfortunately Johnny I didn't get chums. any I didn't get yeah, any I didn't get anything down on uh I didn't get anything down on, on microphone right. view. not for this time or maybe but, but I'm going I'm going up to the game tomorrow I'm going up to West Brom on Tuesday as well so I'll be up the game on Tuesday I'm going to go up to Leeds on Wednesday for them I'm going, I'm going to play off crazy haven't I do you have yeah. any tips for us Billy who do you see as the winners 
Oh, overall winner. Overall. I, 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 I tell you something. The way that tell you something. The way that West um, Aston Villa were like down and out. I thought in that first game, and and you know, and and West Brom got that goal, made a silly little mistake, got that goal, and they were that first half. They were kind of dominating, knocking the ball in, and West Brom were quite easily clearing it, getting it out. And then the next half, they just turned it around. Mm. I just thought, hmm, that's quite that's quite interesting. There's gears there, isn't there? You know, that's that's <laughs> yeah. quite interesting. That, that, that you know, with the crowd behind them, they they may be able to you know to go there. And again, Dean Smith talked about you know he said, look, you know, you've seen that bill, you know, behind that goal there, you know, all of a sudden the whole end when it when it goes off. 40, you know, the 40,000 or whatever fans it may be, it just makes such a difference. He goes, it's, it's, I mean, he's an Aston Villa fan as well, but you know, but it is. So I think for for them, they they potentially might have an advantage. But then Leeds United, man, their support is is amazing. And when Leeds really play, um, they they really do play. And I think, and it sounds like I'm juggling here, and I'm not trying to make an answer. <laughs> but the thing is that. I think Leeds United ended on a really bad run this season. Terrible run. I mean, you know, we, we put the, one of the final nails in their coffin and I think that really just did them. They're like, oh my God, if, if we lose to Brentford, you know, you know we're not going to beat anyone. So their heads were really down and they lost to Ipswich. I mean, no one loses to Ipswich. So <laughs> no, but they don't. And so they lost to Ipswich. So they look like they're in a bad run. But I think that Leeds were lucky that they finished in the position they finished and ended up playing Derby. So they could play Derby and they can get themselves a little bit of positivity off the back of playing Derby. Because if they had played... Aston Villa, for example, I think there would have been a much tougher semi-final for them yeah. playing Aston Villa, you know, and they, and they could have been in a bit of a predicament. So I think they're in a good position. So between those two at Wembley, I think it's a bit of a toss of a coin. It's going to be very, <laughs> very lively and more on that decisive playoff action in just a moment. This is Love Sport. You are listening to the Brentford Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. Fried onion rings. Fried onion rings? Where's that come from? I think there's some people out there chuckling. They'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Is there a chant related to this? <laughs> this is a commer- it's actually a commercial. Is it? Yeah. I see. Fried onion rings. <laughs> <laughs> this is, of course, the voice of the delightful Doris Beautiful. Day, who very sadly died today yeah. at the grand old age of 97. So we here at Love Sport Radio are remembering her uh, and a wonderful life. And yes. potentially, of course, a wonderful season coming up for Brentford. We were talking just then about the intensity, the drama of the championship playoffs. Brentford, of course, not involved this year. But do you think it's the kind of atmosphere, the kind of structure of contest that suits the sort of team you are? Oh, well, I think if you look at history, the answer is no, because <laughs> we've never won a playoff. No. You know what I'm so let's scrap them now. Um, <laughs> No, no, we're not great at playoffs. We're not great at cup games. We haven't, we haven't won anything no. big like playoffs that at are, all. Playoffs are good when you're not in them. They're good to watch and they're good to be a neutral and sort of watch and watch on and, and laugh and enjoy. But when you're in them, they're horrible. They are brutal, They're agonising, presumably. They are. They're, they end, mostly they end in pain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I said to you, we've been in... I think we've been about nine playoffs. I think it is, you know, and we've oh God, I remember the first one. The first one was really exciting. It was Tranmere Rovers. And, you know, we sort of snuck in at the last minute. I think it was. We, I think we, I think we drew two all at home. Kevin Godfrey was involved in the goal, if I remember rightly. Again, it's a long time ago. And then we went up to Tranmere and we just got beaten up there. And, you know, it was a little bit gutting. Um, but then after that, we were sort of quite, quite, quite a good side. And then, then we got into the next set of playoffs and that was a real gutter when we were, when, 
only two teams could go, only one team could go up instead of two because they were reducing the size of the Premier League. So uh, it was between us and Birmingham City, and that's where the real kind of uh, the battle between Brentford and Birmingham came in those those years. You know, we were first, they were second, they were second, we were first. We won the league one year, they won the league the next year. It was just, it was carnage, it really was. And uh, they were, they, it was us and them, and eventually they sort of kind of went away. So we ended up finishing second in that league, um, which was gutting because we didn't go up automatically. We went into the playoffs, we played um, fifth place Huddersfield Town. Managed by a young Neil Warnock, and uh, a young Neil Warnock. Yeah. That's not a sentence I've yeah. ever heard. Right. Can't imagine him young, can no, you? So well, he, well, he was at the time <laughs> a young Neil Warnock, and we we lost on penalties. And I tell you something, that hurt more than any more than any other game at the time because at the time we were so close to going up at that time, and then we didn't, and then we went out to to Huddersfield at home on penalties. So for us, that was just the beginning of the end. We just we just didn't win any playoffs. It's just rubbish, you know. But um. Hey, that's that's Brentford for you, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is, yeah. I mean, they are brutal then. We've said, yeah, they're not very fun. They're not very good to watch. As long as you're, yeah, they're only exciting when you're not in them. That's uh, that's the thing. I... Or, or if you win them as well. But I mean, looking at the first division mm. as well, obviously, like I said, Leeds played Derby. Leeds are playing Derby on Wednesday. Uh, they've got the upper hand. They've got the, the one goal win. Um, Roof, it's interesting because Roof was out injured for quite a bit. And these yeah. fans were saying how much we miss uh, Roof. <laughs> and uh, he saw that. Did you see when he did that? He's got this really wicked free kick, which he sort of put on Instagram, which he's saying to everyone. Oh, it's lovely. You know, it's, just, it's really great. And then uh, a few days later, he took a penalty, <laughs> <laughs> which is possibly one of the worst penalties in the world. <laughs> and I was thinking, nah, nah, you should have probably not put that on Instagram. No, keep that one quiet. Yeah. But they, they've missed him, haven't they? That last run, I think they'd have probably gone up. They'd have probably pushed Sheffield United all the way in their last run if they had Roof fit. It was Bamford that was really the one that was letting them down. Yeah, so His um, finishing's been poor. So they've missed Roof, but he took his goal really, really well against Derby. Really lovely finish there. Um, yeah, I mean, Roof, he would have probably made a difference actually for them towards yeah. the end of the season. So, so I mean, we've got that tied up. We've got Sunderland versus Pompey, which is the big game. Obviously, the uh, it was the, the Sherpa Vans trophy uh, <laughs> final at Wembley a few a few weeks ago where Sunderland and Pompey actually sold it out, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think they call it checker trade now, it is. But, you know, we still call it the Sherpa Vans trophy because <laughs> that's what it was originally called um, when we lost our... The, in the first ever Sherpa's Vans Trophy <laughs> final at Wembley, as we did, but um, yeah, it, absolute sellout. It was, it was, mm. it was a, you know, it was a good game as well, and um, and that's that was the big battle that everyone was looking out for. It's like, do you want Sunderland? Do you want Pompey to go through? I mean, we beat the Sunderland last year, and it's a good little away day. But in a way, I just thought, actually, I'll, I'll be quite, I quite could like. Pompey to come yeah, up. I think I know. Well. It's a yeah. fantastic story that having been at the top, been in FA Cup finals, of course, mm. winning FA Cups, then financial difficulties leading to a massive plummet down the table. Yeah. Nice to see them then rise from the ashes as well. Yes, yeah, you talk, you talk about Sunderland. <laughs> Pompey, of course. <laughs> Good old Pompey. Same, same story. Sunderland aren't there yet, yeah, but they're yeah. getting there. You yeah. could just transfer that to Sunderland, couldn't you? But no, it's Kenny Jacket, isn't it? Of course, we've done a really good job there. They've got some got some good young players, yeah. really interesting ones. Uh, someone who had a, a good game at the back, uh, Matt Clark, someone that Brentford should keep a little eye on. I think uh, he looks pretty good. And uh, Ollie Hawkins is uh, one of the besotted crew, the Allard, Matt, the Allard, Allard, who you haven't actually met as yet because yeah. he doesn't he doesn't come into town on Mondays. He only does the drinking on a Thursday <laughs> in the pub <laughs> podcast on a Wednesday <laughs> podcast thing he does yeah. but his uh in fact i think it's his nephew his uh yeah his nephew. that's right he's he's actually ollie hawkins and he's sort of following him all the way through to a non-league mm. he's telling us all about him when he's a non-league then he then he stepped up and uh, went to dagenham and uh now he's at he's at portsmouth uh, yeah. on the verge awesome. 
of the championship. So yeah. uh yeah, so little besotted link there, very, very, very weak link, but you know, we still well, need to throw they, it in there. They all count as the old adage goes <laughs> in Charlton as well, looking absolutely fantastic. Lyle Taylor in the form of his life. Joe yeah. Aribo still linked to Arsenal, still looking very, very lively. An and extraordinary you, job that Bowyer's doing. You know there's a, 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 a very another we like to put our weak links to Brentford <laughs> and there is a link between Kyle Taylor and Brentford as well. Um there is a player that's Brentford signed from Falkirk called Farid Alagui. 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 Okay. We signed him in the Uwe Rosler days, just when we started to play our, our passing game football. And he was really high renowned. And, and players loved him. He gave him a little soul and everything like that. But he got injured, actually, um, fairly early on at Brentford. But he was like one of the top scorers at Falkirk, scored loads and loads of goals. And when he moved to Brentford, Falkirk signed this young player called Kyle. Um, Kyle Taylor. Lyle Taylor. Lyle Taylor, Taylor, who is now in sensational form, of course, in League One. That's right. So it's our fault. It it all comes back to Brentford. All roads end with Brentford. We've also had some big news in the Premier League in the last 24 hours. Brighton sacked Chris Hewton. The big question, though, given he got them into an FA Cup semi-final and they did survive in the Premier League, is whether this was a footballing decision or a financial one. I'm delighted to say that we'll have Kieran Maguire from the Price of Football on the line to answer precisely that question. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the Brentford Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow, Billy the B Grant and Dave, I should say XG Dave, I do apologise Dave, Uh, XG Dave Anderson of the Besotted Podcast and I'm delighted to say that we're also joined on the line by football financial expert Kieran Maguire from Price of Football, Kieran's senior teacher in accounting and finance at the University of Liverpool Management School where he teaches the football industry's MBA. This is a man who knows a thing or two about how the money that makes the game tick operates and Kieran I've got to ask you about Brighton, we've seen them give Chris Hewton the sack it wasn't a terrible season they stayed up in the Premier League they reached an FA Cup semi-final do you think this decision has been made for footballing reasons or financial ones um, a, a bit of both uh, I, I think the uh, the owner Tony Blooms uh, got very twitchy at the prospect of uh, losing a hundred million pounds a season through relegation um, I'm, I'm not convinced it's it's the best decision in the long-term interests of the club. But if, if you're going to make a decision, it's the right time to make it. Whether it's the right decision is, is a separate issue. Uh, we we have a bottom three, bottom four budget. And therefore, you'd expect to, to finish in the bottom three, bottom four with, it, with the Premier League equivalent of uh, Rotherham or Millwall. Hello, Kieran. It's Billy here, mate. How are you? No, I'm grand. I'm grand. Been a busy day. No, yeah. not at all. No, no, you do. You're BBC and all sorts, aren't you? You're all over the. I mean, BBC to love sport. I mean, this must have been the, your best day of your life, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's right. That's yeah. right. When I thought, when I thought I couldn't get get any higher, um, <laughs> ending up here is stop uh, it, is, you. Icing <laughs> on top of the cake. That's right. But listen, Chris Hewton, and we love Chris Hewton as well because obviously he's a Brentford legend. He was in the side that uh, won the league. Actually, we beat Birmingham City. Hey, in uh, well, 1992 when we actually got to the league we are now in the, in the championship and, and Chris was right in there so uh, you know we've got we've got a lot of affinity to Chris Hewton I mean you're saying did, looking at the bigger picture I mean did Chris did he really do that bad a job for you because I've looked at him and for me I'm thinking he's done alright for Brighton he, he, he's, done, he's done a very good job he, he took over when we were 19th in the championship uh, halfway through a season which had been a disaster under Sammy Hippie, he stabilised the ship, 
the following season, we missed out on promotion on goal difference in Middlesbrough and, and also due to Mike Dean. Um, the, the season after that, we, we were promoted with, with three games to go. Uh, in both those seasons, we were within the top two uh, leading goal scorers in the division. Um, and we've now survived two years in the Premier League. And, and it is a completely different game in that division. Uh, that- w- watching watching us play City yesterday is like comparing chess to drafts. Yeah, and I was going to ask you that question as well, because obviously we've got no idea. I mean, obviously we have aspirations in the future of, of going to the Premier League, but what what are the main differences, you know, as a fan and also the main differences that maybe Chris Hewton might have as a, as a manager of Brighton? Um, well, the, the, the speed of players in, in the Premier League is, is scary. Um, the way that you can lose possession in the on the halfway line, and three seconds later you're a goal down, and that happens with alarming regularity against the best sides. Um, see, having seen the likes of Eden Hazard is, is the best player that's ever set foot at the Amex, except he didn't set foot because he, his feet actually never touched the ground; he just glides <laughs> sort of about two centimeters above the grass. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's really tough and, and the only way that you can counter that is realistically by, by putting, putting up the wall you know, parking the bus and relying on set pieces which is exactly the same as Millwall and Rotherham and Burton have done for, for during their tenure in the championship uh, and it's, uh, it, it's tough I mean I if you're asking me as a fan, what do I prefer? I prefer the championship because if you have a crap game on a Saturday, you've got the following Tuesday in which to get it right. Kieran, I've got to ask from a Brighton perspective, a lot has been said about the signings that were made under Hewton because quite a lot of money has been spent, the likes of Jahan Bash coming in and really not excelling. The argument's going two ways. The first is Chris Hewton's not got a squad that's good enough to do any better than he did. It's not his fault. But the converse is... Chris Hewton signed those players. It's his fault. It's his problem. Was he responsible for those signings? Um, in my opinion, no, because we, we have a head of recruitment. Um, a bit like Brentford, there is, a, uh, there is an emphasis on, on analytics and moneyball-style um, research into picking up better players. And, and some of those have worked. I mean, certainly if you look at Pascal Gross, I think he was one of the the big finds of the Premier League last season. Um, but this, this year, for whatever reason, um, it, it's not worked. And I, I've spoken to, to people I know in the game and they were saying, well, uh, you, you were, your scouts had recommended that you sign David Brooks and instead you went for Jahan Batch. And you, you compare the progress of those two players this season. Um, Jahan Batch, he, he, he seems a nice lad, as, as they all do. <laughs> Um, but he's he's lightweight. He, he gets knocked off the ball too quickly. Um, for a for a player who is a who is you know, the leading goal scorer in, in Dutch football last season, um, he, uh, he he's got one trick, which is to dip his shoulder, cut in from the left wing, and and shoot with his right. Um, and he didn't do that very often. And when he did do it, he did it very slowly. It's, it's interesting you should mention that as well, Kieran, because I know that, I mean, I, I talked with you that we were talking about getting you on the Besotted podcast um, at some stage in the future. 
um, to talk about things a little bit more Brentford, a little bit broader as well. And, and like I said, we, you know, if you're in London, you come down the pub with us and we spend all evening in the pub and talk about stuff. Or we could do it whichever way possible. But I thought it'd be really interesting. And the reason why you mentioned it yourself about the way that you go about doing your business and, you know, um, Brentford are known because we put it in a press release at one stage just after Mark Warburton uh, decided to leave the club that, you know, that we were getting involved in analytics and the whole world picked up on it and basically says Brentford signs people by computer and we were just known as the analytic club. Um, but the thing about it is that what a lot of people didn't know is that Brighton do exactly the same thing. They've got exactly the same algorithm. And like I said, Tony Bloom and Matthew Benham, who are, you know, the two owners, Tony Bloom's Brighton and Matthew Benham's Brentford, they actually were in business together. So, you know, as far as I know, you know, they were very tight together and I think they, they split off, went about their own ways. But I think they go about doing exactly the same thing. So I'm interested just to know about, you know, you're saying about the similarities between Brentford and Brighton and obviously you're three or four or five years ahead of us you know as to kind of you know where we are and where you could see us going you know being in, in your footsteps as it is well I, I think I, I think Matthew Benham's doing the right thing in trying to uh, develop the infrastructure of the club um, certainly one of the advantages that I think that we had whilst being in the championship was the the the, uh, the the creation of the Amex, which um, I, I know that uh, Palace and Charlton fans and one or two others will give us a stick about it, but it, it's a great place to watch football. Um, and also, Tony Bloom invested around about 30 to 40 million in state-of-the-art training facilities um, with, with an aim of... Uh, and this is where the two clubs sort of differ. You know, the, the Albion have gone down the route of having a, a, a Class 1 academy, whereas... Uh, I mean, I, I taught Rob Rowan um, about 18 months, two years ago, before before he, he, he tragically passed away. Um, and he was telling me about the uh, the Brentford approach, which which made, makes a lot of sense um, given the catchment area that you have. So I think that's the area where the two clubs were were off were opting for different routes. But the broader um, the, the broader perspective of Ultimately, a, a football game is can be broken down into a series of discrete events, um, and and if you analyse those and identify strengths and weaknesses, you can find benefits in terms of of the values of individual players. Um, so that's that's how it works in theory. Um, if, if you then talk to some of the coaches and to some of the scouts, they will say that that approach does have some merit. But what it doesn't observe is you could have a midfield player whose job really is, is to close down players. He doesn't necessarily make any tackles, but his job is to, to cut off the triangles, is to make sure that the number of options that an opposing player has is reduced. Uh, and, and that player really isn't being assessed and isn't being caught um, under the, the money ball or the analytical style. Um, now, I think, it's, I think there is, there's room for improvement as far as the analytics are concerned. Um, and I sort of know the guys that work on Football Manager, and they say they've got a, a whole engine behind the interface that we see when we might be playing it for you know, 17 to 24 hours a day, um, that uh, they, then, they, they then sell on to um, clubs themselves, and, and they're trying to use this as a vehicle to, uh, to persuade clubs that there is value in big data in football. 
Kieran, this is fascinating stuff. Any conversation that involves football manager is all right with me. <laughs> Stay with us if you'd be so kind, because in just a moment, we're going to talk more about the similarities and perhaps the differences as well between Brighton and Brentford. This is Love Sport. You're listening to the Brentford Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio. You're with me, Johnny Burrow and Billy the B Grant and XG Dave Anderson from Besotted. I'm delighted to say we're also joined on the line still by Kieran Maguire of The Price of Football. Thanks for staying with us, Kieran. I was interested by Billy's suggestion in our last segment that Brentford and Brighton are clubs run with similar models, but that Brentford are perhaps a few years behind Brighton in that evolution. For your money, can you see the Bees using this model successfully and following the Seagulls into the Premier League? Uh, very much so. Um, I, I think to uh, achieve promotion, uh, I think you need to have a, a good uh, a good level of stability at the club, and, and I think Matthew has that at Brentford. Um, I think his ambitions in terms of moving to a new stadium are are the right ones because if you do get to the Premier League, you, you then have to be able to attract players. Now, I appreciate you can argue that, that Bournemouth have got away with effectively you know, operating from a cow shed with 11,000 people in, <laughs> and, and they've done an absolutely fantastic job um, to date in, in the Premier League and have to be given some credit for that. But it, it makes it easier if you're, if you're showing a player around, if, 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 it, if he feels like he's moving to the Premier League. Um, so uh, you know, by having new premises, that, that, that's one step. Um, and I think by having a, a, a strategy um, at the club, and, and that's what the Albion had um, you know, on, under Chris Hewton. It was very much um, a, a style of football whereby the, the, you know, the youth team moving into the under-23s, moving into the first team, all are encouraged to play the same type of football. So I think Brentford are, are, have got a, a reputation for doing that, certainly from, from talking to one or two people that appears to be the philosophy at the club. And, and then, it, then there's an element of luck. Um, if, if you look at Huddersfield, when, when they went up, it was on the back of having um, you know, Aaron Moy and Izzy Brown playing really good football as loan signings um, and that was that was a significant that was a significant impact if you if you look at Norwich this season they've recruited superbly but even so one or two of those signings you know, where where did they come from um, in, in terms of uh, in, in terms of attacking football yeah they, they've done extremely well Derby have done well in terms of their their recruitment of loan signings. So you don't have to spend huge sums of money um, in that division. It, it's a case of getting it right um, in terms of um, having a philosophy of football and having players who um, act as, as as a group. Um, and I think the classic example that we've seen this season is Sheffield United. You know, on an individual basis, um, those, those players are are you know, not not superb, but they all work for each other. And I think in Billy Sharp, they have the equivalent of, of Glenn Murray when we were promoted three years ago. Yeah, interesting. Um, hi, Kieran, it's David here. Hi, David. Hi, yeah, so interesting you talk about recruitment and the models. And uh, yeah, I'm quite interested to see... So, so Brighton and Brentford, obviously, their similarities. Both owners have a statistical analysis business and they... They do their bits in that way, but I'm quite interested. Since you've been to the uh, since been up to the Premier League, has there has there been a little bit of shift here? You, have you kind of moved more towards? Is it the Watford model? I, I, that's what I'm kind of looking at with the amount of loans you have out. What what's kind of happened there? 
Well, I mean, the Albion effectively have um, an investment arm and the aim is to recruit players um, with with little or no intention of them ever making the first mm-hmm. team uh, to improve them, to get uh, other scouts from Europe to 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 see them in action playing for the under-23s um, and, and then to sell them on a profit. Um, so we have around about you know, 35 players out on loan yeah. um, trying to keep track on them, trying to try, even knowing whether we've signed them or not is... Is a bit bizarre. But the rules are um, changing, aren't they, Kieran, in terms of how many players you can have out on loan? What's that going to do to clubs like Brighton and Chelsea? I, I, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be bad news. I mean, the, the, the Chelsea the Chelsea business model is very much built on selling players at a profit, and, and part of the reason for that is Abramovich wants the club to be self sufficient, um, but trying to be self-sufficient at the top end of the Premier League when you've got a ground which, by comparative status, the standards, is is poor. Uh, you know, Stamford Bridge has got a capacity of 41,000. You look now at Arsenal, Spurs, Liverpool, Manchester United and Manchester City, um, and, and they're between you know, 54 and, and 75. So, so what Chelsea have tried to do is to uh, re- recruit players, effectively factory farm players, um, and then move them on at a profit. And I think with the, the proposals coming out of UEFA in terms of loan signings, um, Chelsea will be impacted, and, and we will as well. I, 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 was, I was looking at some data, and I think we've got the third highest number of players in the Premier League who are, are out on loan at other clubs. Uh, we, we signed one guy last summer, a guy called Percy Tao from South Africa, Lent, the South African fans to... love him, don't they, Kieran? They're absolutely oh. furious that you're not playing him. Well, we, we, we can't play him um, because we can't get a, a work permit for him. Mm. Because, of, of, because, of the, uh, because of, uh, South Africa has such a low FIFA ranking, um, he's actually very difficult to uh, qualify to play in the Premier League. So, so... the FA uh, won't, won't tick him off in terms of being able to be able to play in English football. Um, I I think what we were hoping to do was that if he proved himself elsewhere in Europe, um, the club was hoping that that would count in its favour. But with Brexit possibly happening, and and this is is completely apolitical comment, um, it's going to make it more difficult for players who have been parked within the EU for a season or two to to actually uh, clock up the... The, the, the plus marks as far as being able to play in English football are concerned. And we did that with Cameron Mikocho, who's our South African player, who uh, we were going to try and so, try to sign him two years before, but we couldn't get a visa as well because he's from South Africa. So he actually played in Holland and then he got naturalised and then he signed for us. So that was uh, yes. that's how it worked. We, two years later it happened, but yeah, we could see that. But just coming back to things, Kieran, I'm so very interested. Thanks for chatting to us as well. And like I said to you, it'd be great to talk about a lot of this stuff more. But let's just, just nail down about Brentford because you did a little tweet recently where you had analysed Brentford's finances as well. Now, there's been a lot has been said about Brentford finances, that the fact that we're, you know, bottom four, bottom five budget in the division, but we're, as people use the phrase, punching above our weight. You know, we're losing £350,000 a week. You know, we're playing we're paying £135 in wages for every £100 that comes in. We made £13 million in income last season, which is about a third of what team, some teams get in parachute income, but we're still, you know, 
you know, we're still fighting amongst them. We're still 11th in the league. Just from your point of view and giving an overview, how do you see Brentford's finances, how we're doing and how it compares with the rest of the league? Well, I think if you look at it as, as a standalone business, um, it, it's, it's got problems. Um, but that if you put it in the context of benchmarking against the rest of the championship, they're doing very well um, as a club. Uh, and I think if, if fans are, are I, I don't know what the, the, the attitude of the, the Brentford fan base is. I mean, I, I did some work on Preston recently and, and they were giving um, their owner, uh, uh, Trevor Hebbard, I think it was, they were giving him loads of stick and yet he's sticking in a hundred grand a week himself to, to subsidise the club. Uh, you know, Matthew's been extremely generous. You know, he, he's lent the club now over £70 million himself. Um, I, I think Brentford do do extremely well. And what they have done and what I do admire um, is is that they've thought, well, we can't compete financially against the other clubs in terms of wages and so on. But what we can offer players um, is, is the opportunity to, to showcase themselves in the championship with a view to moving on um, and also by by taking this uh, this algorithmic approach to recruitment um, we can find bargains and and develop players so I think they are seen as an outsider I see them as a development club um, I, I do think if you get a couple of decent loan signings 10th or 11th then becomes potentially at fifth six or seventh um, which 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 I think would be you know, fantastic from your point of view um, I think it is good to see a variety of clubs doing well at the top of the uh, of the championship, and and this year especially, we have both both Norwich. If anybody has put money on Paddy Power for for Norwich and Sheffield United to to be promoted, uh, other, at the start other of good the gambling companies are available. Although people, of course, <laughs> oh, should sure, be wary sure of, there of gambling. He's <laughs> yeah, bet responsibly. That's right, um, um, Kieran. So, I mean, just just quickly as well, just just talk about the finances. I mean, Brentford, in effect, they lost eighteen point five million pounds, but they made it up. Um, to sorry, 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 to a 4.4 million pound loss due to yep. the player sales we had this season. Now, obviously, there is, um, and this is very much born in, in what we do, uh, a reliance on buying players low and selling them high as we do, and we really rely on that. Now, it's really interesting because I picked up on a point how you what you said a bit earlier. You've done really well. You've got up to the league and you've done really well, but then this season it hasn't quite clicked as it's supposed to. Now, if we're reliant so much on player sales. Um, obviously, if we if we have a bad season where we pick up a batch of bad players or they don't develop the way that we're going to do, and we won't be able to sell us on, that will leave us financially in a bit of a pickle, won't it? Yes, I mean if, if you take a look at uh, 2015, um, you lost your regulation 350 grand a week, uh, but your profits on player sales that season, I suspect it because it was your first season in the championship, were only two million, which meant that the the only way that the 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 club could survive was if the owner put in extra cash, which, which to be fair, he did. Um, but, it, but it does really put pressure on owners um, to to be able to uh, as to be a stopgap if if player sales don't don't materialise. Um, and, we, and we've seen with other clubs in the Championship the the, the consequences of of not having. Um, and, and yeah, it's a terrible thing to think of this, but, but football players are commodities as far as football clubs are concerned. They're not people. Um, they're, they're commodities <laughs> to be sold at a profit. Um, and if you don't have the, the right commodities, then, then you can end up with problems. And 
you've only got to look to see what's happened with uh, with Bolton today. I've, I've done about four radio shows and one TV uh, up here in the northwest, just trying to explain um, what's going to happen to that club over the course of of the summer and starting next season. Um, so it does put pressure on a club such as Brentford to recruit correctly. But also, I think, from from the club's perspective, in terms of wanting to progress as a football club, if you know that your top one or two players are going to leave you every season, it puts puts a lot of pressure on the manager and and the rest of the squad to to, uh, improve themselves. It's fantastic stuff, Kieran. We've got the biggest question of all left to ask you, of course, which is... Is football eating itself? That's coming right up. This is Love Sport. It's the Brentford Fan Show here on Love Sport Radio with me, Johnny Burrow, Billy the Bee Grant and XG Dave Anderson of Besotted. And we're still joined on the line, I'm delighted to say, by Kieran Maguire of The Price of Football. Kieran, you are a financial expert when it comes to football, a teacher, a senior teacher, I should say, in accounting and finance at the University of Liverpool Management School. You teach the football industry's MBA. You know this game unlike anybody else. Is football eating itself? I think football is paying itself. I think that's the problem. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yes, it is. Uh, in any other line of business, uh, you make sure that you control your costs um, and you, you aim to either break even or ideally make a profit um, and, and use that to, to invest. Now, given that in the, in the championship, we've got a total income of 520 million and we've got... Sorry, Sorry, 720 million and a total wage bill of 770 million. How how can you pay for the for the groundsman to put petrol in the mower, to put electricity into the pylons, to to send out mailing shots for uh, you know for, to try to attract new fans and new sponsors when when you can't even cover your wages? So it it, it is a it, it's a it's a crazy industry. Um, it, it is like no other because. In, in, in any other industry, there would be simply wastage and shrinkage, um, and you, you would, you know, clubs and, and companies would grow bigger or smaller accordingly. Uh, but but in football, because you've got to have 92 clubs in the league, somehow we sort of keep reinventing ourselves and replenishing ourselves. Um, and when I used to sort of do work in, in the profession before I realised that accounting was as dull as I had feared, <laughs> I decided decided to go teaching the nonsense itself I, I used to do company investigations on, on behalf of lenders and banks and I, I invest I, I investigated one club who are who are presently in the championship on behalf of, of a bank and I said well to the bank manager it's it, it, it's knackered you know it's got it's got you've got significant cash flow problems um, the money going out in terms of wages isn't being covered the directors seem to have lost interest um, I think you need to appoint administrators. And he turned to me and said, I live in this city. My kids go to school in this city. If I'm seen to be the man pulling the plug on this club, my life will be hell. So I'm just going to let them carry on. So you've got these type of activities taking place because of the unique place that football plays in our lives, which allows it to eat itself and allows the... The numbers, which make no sense from a business point of view, to be repeated and uh, occur 
incredible losses and we all just sort of grin and bear it at, at the financiers, the club owners and, and we as fans. Um, and if it's happening to somebody else's club, it's because the club is being poorly run. Um, if our club don't spend the money, we, we accuse our owners of lacking ambition and you get the, the legendary, you've got to speculate to accumulate uh, <laughs> comments coming out, which, which ends up you know, signing... Um, you know, Alexi Sanchez on 450 grand a week or having uh, Andy Carroll as, as England's biggest England-to-England transfer for, for a period of six years. It's, it's sheer nonsense. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, Kieran, yeah, you mentioned Bolton briefly um, earlier. It's, yeah, it's really sad what's happened to them. It's uh, quite a tragic case. But I'm just interested, is, I guess, is FFP too reactionary? Is it too, is it fluid enough to actually deal with the problem at hand? And something that... It, uh, looks a bit more manageable is how sort of League One and League Two deal with it with this SCMP protocol. So where they're sort of reviewing it, and if if clubs get too close to the sort of wages to turnover level, it's about fifty five percent or sixty percent. They're investigated and they're looked at and uh, looked at it more scrutiny. It, have we got the right answer with FFP? Is it is it too late to say too many cases? And FFP was is financial fair play for yes, people out there sorry. who don't understand yeah. what that is as well. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of what's happening. In the championship, um, if, if a club is in a top 10 place um, and uh, the EFL are concerned about it, but they do send in the inspectors um, and it okay. would be investigated. But what the club would then do is they would employ very aggressive lawyers, very smart accountants to come up with um, schemes and objections with with the sole intention of delaying any decision being made in the hope that that club gets promoted. Um, if you look to see what's happened with Bournemouth and Leicester and Queen's Park Rangers, all three of those clubs were subject to, to breach of FFP whilst in the championship. And they, they put together legal cases which said that, in our opinion, um, financial fair play is a restraint of trade. We don't think that it is therefore lawful. And they made sure that by the time um, that they were seen in terms of going before a tribunal, that they'd already managed to get promoted to the Premier League and therefore they could afford to pay off the fines. So in the championship, because the rewards are so high uh, in terms of the the, the uh, broadcast income, uh, we, you know, we're talking an additional £100 million, um, clubs will use delaying tactics. And uh, I will give Sean Harvey a lot of stick, a lot of time. But in respect of this particular issue, um, he's, he's, he's struggling because he simply doesn't have the resources compared to the clubs themselves. So, so listen, Kieran, just quickly, look for the last final question, because we're, we're coming near to the end of the show now, but FFP, you said it's, it's not great. But the question we have is that clubs, is like we talked about this before, like kids in a, is a sweet shop, they can't help themselves. They'll spend and spend and spend and keep their fingers crossed and some of them will crumble, some of them won't. What could we be the, be the solution? I mean, we've talked before about, you know, should clubs have a cap on what they can spend or spend on players or a player cap? You know, you talked about restraint of K. Just quickly, what do you think a solution may be? Um, I, I don't think uh, a cap will work. Um, I think what you might have to do in, in order to preserve the ability of clubs to continue in existence is to uh, lodge perhaps a bond with the EFL for a substantial sum. You know, to, to ensure that if, if the club does get into financial uh, financial problems, then 
you effectively go into this insurance pot, mm. which has been set up by all the clubs. Kieran, it's um, fascinating sure stuff. I'm afraid we've got to go. It's the end of the show, but thank you for your <laughs> time. Kieran, it's been, it's wicked, been wonderful. Yeah, great. Thanks and we'll Kieran. join you next week on the Brentford Fan Show. Thanks for downloading this podcast from Love Sport Radio. For more, go to lovesportradio.com for all the latest podcasts, news and views. Or for more, follow us at Love Sport Radio on Twitter. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.